ultimately have. You're going to pray. Amen. Welcome to the village. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at the village, and we are in the middle of the Daniel Project. Um, we are in chapter 9 of Daniel, and we've been doing a lot of really cool things. We recorded the entire book of Daniel. I think we're done recording the book of Daniel. We're still doing some music for it, and it's going to be a whole a, a thing that you can listen to, um, which is really fun. We've also been working on this, which I'm going to put up here. Uh, this canvas, after every sermon, we've been adding to it just things that we hear uh, during the sermon, and uh, we've been taking a picture. So if when, after I'm done, um, during our, our music time in a little bit, you can come up and, and write down any reflection that you might have. Um, there's some Sharpies and stuff. Uh, so you can join in, and we actually take a picture, so you don't have to worry about writing over what someone else wrote, because we're going to keep adding to it. Um, we keep, we keep a, a log of, of what it looks like after every, after every service, which is going to be fun also. Um, art night, we're going to be, on Friday, we're going to be working, I'm, I'm going to, part of the music, we're going to be doing some stuff with Daniel, which is going to be a lot of fun. But it's this whole, we've been walking through Daniel, and to give you an idea of where we are, we're in chapter 9, and uh, if you know the story of Daniel at all, the first six chapters are kind of the really, the the things that we usually think of when we think of Daniel. We're like, oh yeah, that's that's the story of Daniel. It's, it's, uh, uh, we're going to eat vegetables and, and instead of eating at the king's table, and, and God's going to bless us because of that. We're going to uh, not, we're going to listen to the, God's going to give us the interpretation of the king's dream um, and allow us to speak into his life. Uh, and then there's the story of the blazing furnace, and the people aren't, there. Daniel and his friends are not going to bow down to the, the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has set up. Um, and then there's uh, chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy and um, meets God. And then chapter 5, uh, there's the, the writing on the wall, King Belshazzar. And then chapter 6 is, is the lion's den. So there's all these, like, the writing on the wall, the lion's den, the blazing furnace. All of the, the big stories in Daniel happen in the first six chapters. But there's 12 chapters in Daniel. And the last two weeks, chapter 7 and chapter 8, are these kind of, they're, they're dreams, they're visions that Daniel has. And, and Eric, Pastor Eric, who's just up here, the last two weeks walked us through those dreams and, and visions. And there were the four beasts rising up out of the ocean and fighting with each other. And then there's, in chapter 8, there's the, the ram and the goat. And they, the, the ram rises up and, and runs all over the land, and then the goat comes and beats the ram. And it's all very confusing. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. It's very confusing. We don't often, we don't, you know, some of the things we know exactly what it says because when, when it talks about the ram and the goat, it says the ram um, is, is the, the Persians and the Medes, and the goat is the Greeks. So we know that. But the rest of it, we. we we're making educated guesses, kind of. Um, and looking back at history and, and reading the dreams and the prophecies and, 
Um, and that's really the rest of Daniel is kind of going through these things. And Eric did this wonderful job going, walking us through those the last two weeks. And last week, what he ended with was well, he had four questions. When you read the Bible, when you read a passage, what you want to do is go through these four questions. And the first one is, what do I need to know? And then why do I need to know it? And then the third and the fourth is, uh, what do I need to do? And why do I need to do it? So we're going to try to kind of do that with chapter 9, which Eric very graciously allowed me to speak on because it's Daniel's prayer and it's not a confusing vision (laughs) prophecy. So thank you, Eric. Um, So I want to start, though, with... uh, Eric came up here with the kids this, this morning, and he brought them up and talked them through some questions on the Apostles' Creed. And this is something we do every week, and we, we rotate back and forth between the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. And so we just did the Apostles' Creed, so I'm going to ask you guys some questions about the Lord's Prayer. Um, and if you're here every other week, you probably know the answers. So I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to try to get this, get this going here. Okay, the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to do the Lord's Prayer. So who is the Lord? It's what we believe. <laughs> who's, who's the Lord? Can I get a hand, a hand up? Jesus. Jesus is the Lord. Okay, so I'm going to say, who is the Lord? And you're all going to say Jesus, okay? Who is the Lord? Jesus. All right, thank you. Okay, so this is Jesus' prayer. So when, when we talk about it, it's Jesus' prayer. So how did we get this prayer? If this is Jesus' prayer, how did we get this prayer? The disciples asked Jesus how to pray, and this is the prayer he gave them. So, okay, I'm going to say, how did we get this prayer? And you're all going to say, the disciples asked Jesus how to pray. Okay, how did we get this prayer? The disciples asked Jesus how to pray. All right, very good. You guys are just as good as the three to eight-year-olds. Good job. So uh, we also asked the hallowed question, but um, Xander already answered that question. The word hallowed means very, very special. So here's the last question. Why do we say the Lord's Prayer every other week? Sometimes it's hard to pray. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. And this is important for us to remember, actually, because the the truth is that we often um, don't, most I'd say most of the time, we don't spend enough time in prayer, in relationship with God. And part of the reason with that, of that, part of the reason for that is that we, we don't know what to pray, or we don't want to pray. We're angry with God. We don't want to engage with him. There's a lot of different reasons. But the Lord's Prayer, the reason we say the Lord's Prayer every other week with the kids, and the reason why we as a community say it is because it gives us a good idea of where to start when we pray. How to, how to begin. It gives us a template of how to pray. So it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We begin with truth. What is true about God? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
This is what is true. This is what we know is true, is that the Lord's name is, is holy, and he is in heaven. He is present, and he can hear us. This is, this is our, our declaration when we say that. Um, we begin with truth. And then, this is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. No, that's not right. Yeah. Yeah, it is. On earth as it is in heaven. There we go. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. There's a confession. We are in need of forgiveness for our sins. So we begin with truth. There's a confession, and then there's also this piece, give us this day our daily bread, um, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And here we, we have a plea. We plea with God. Give us this day our daily bread. Give it, su- supply our needs. And then, uh, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. We praise, we end with praise that reflects back to, hallowed be thy name. So we begin with truth, we confess, we, we plea with God, and then we praise his name. And this is, this is a, a template that we can actually, we, we when we pray, when we don't know what to pray, we can actually begin by walking through this and saying, okay, we're, I'm going to begin with truth. What is true? And then continue on through. We're going to come back to this. But the reason I wanted to talk about that is because we are going to read Daniel's prayer. And Daniel's prayer actually, in a lot of ways, reflects um, that, that template. We're going to see this, but... Daniel chapter 9 begins. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the, the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Um, so Daniel here is talking about a letter that he received. He says, I understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet. And we actually can go back and read this because we have this letter that Daniel received. From Jeremiah, and we're going to see in Jeremiah 29, this is what he's talking, this is what Daniel is talking about. Daniel at this point has been in, in exile for close to 70 years, which is why he's, confront, why, why he's consulting um, this letter that he received. It says, Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah was a, a contemporary of Daniel. He, was, he uh, lived at the same time he's, he was in Jerusalem. It says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this is, this is Jeremiah writes this letter and sends it out. So one of the people that received this letter is Daniel. And so he's held on to this letter for close to 70 years. 
He's got, he got this letter from Jeremiah, and it, you can see why he held on to this letter, because it's very good um, and also sad. Here we go. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And then in verse 10 it says, This is what the Lord says, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So you can imagine, if you can imagine with me being in, in exile, being carried, being, being an Israelite, being carried off into exile in Babylon, the first thing I think that you would think is, is, is God's going to come save us. This is a temporary thing. He's going to come, and it, we're, we're here in Babylon, but he's going to come, and he's going he's to destroy the Babylonian Empire, and he's going he's to take care of Nebuchadnezzar, and he's going to bring us back to his land because we're his people. We, he's going to take care of us, right? That's what's going to happen. He's going to come, and he's going to take care of us, and he's going to take us back. It's going to be okay. We'll just turn to him, and we'll say, oh, God, save us, and we'll go back. And what Jeremiah says is, actually, no. You're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. You're going to be in exile for 70 years. So, plant, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity to which I have carried you, to the city to which I have carried you into, into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So this is, I'm not coming right away going to be 70 years. You're going to be in exile. Can you imagine being Daniel in ex- being, having been carried off and he's going through all of these really hard moments this, all of the, and engaging with a king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who's this raging tyrant, unpredictable guy who's like throwing his friends into a furnace and, and sitting there and going, God's going to bring us back. And then getting this letter from Jeremiah that says, no, you're going to be there for 70 years. Pray for the city. See, we, we often, I think, we kind of hold up people in the Bible as like, oh, 
The reason they're this way is because they're, they, they were just that way. They were really good. They had an amazing interaction with God. They were really good. You know, we're like Dan, David. David, oh man, he's amazing. He went and, and killed Goliath and never did anything wrong. And Daniel, he went off into exile and he's, he just, he lived this life of prayer. When we talked about Daniel in the lion's den, we talked about Daniel every day kneeling down three times a day and orienting himself towards Jerusalem and praying. And we think, oh, Daniel's just amazing. He's, he's off alone. He doesn't get to be in relationship with God in Jerusalem, but he's, he's, he's doing it. But the reality is actually a lot sadder and a lot harder and more painful. Is that Daniel goes off into exile and then he gets this letter from Jeremiah saying, you're going to be there for a while. And Daniel doesn't know if he's going to ever get to go home. The life of an exile is a life of prayer. Because, because of what Jeremiah says. He says, you are exiles in this land. Pray for the city. It's part of the reason why our, our mission statement is healing the city one person at a time. is because we here at the village, we are, we Christians now, we are exiles. Living in, living in a broken and sinful world. And we're called to pray for the city. But then, so Daniel does that. And Michael, um, who spoke in the evening service um, a few weeks ago, argued that uh, the reason that Nebuchadnezzar comes to know God is because Daniel prays for him. So Daniel spent 70 years praying for the city. And the other thing that he's been praying for is for the 70 years to be over. Because he wants to go home, and you can see it in this passage. We're going to read his prayer. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. He begins with truth. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of, your unfaith- because of our unfaithfulness to you. So he, he begins with truth and then he enters into confession. And this confession is not just Daniel confessing. It's Daniel confessing on behalf of, of, of the people. Daniel confessing on behalf of people that he never met, 
I mean, these, he's confessing for years and years and years of sin. It's not just him in exile. It's him in exile and all the people in exile and the people who are still in Jerusalem. It's this life that they have lived of walking away from God. Daniel's not in exile. I mean, I don't know how much he participated in what the kings had done, but Daniel's probably not in exile because he did these things. He's in exile because of what his fathers had done and what their fathers had done. He's confessing generational sin. He's confessing sin going back years and years and years. And you can feel his pain because he's had to be in exile far away from the, the root of his identity, which is in the temple. He's orienting himself daily towards Jerusalem because that's home. That's where he wants to be. That's where his relationship with God is. And he's, in, he's had to live for 70 years in Babylon away from that home. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes and our fathers have, are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. We, you have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. I mean, you can feel his sadness. And his, his, his anguish at the, the pain and the, the trouble that he's had to live through because of what the people before him did. And he cries out to God in, in confession for his people. He says, Now, O Lord, and this is his plea, Now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, O Lord, now our Lord, Hear the prayers and petitions of your servant for your sake, O Lord. Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. 
We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. So he enters his plea. And his plea is, is based on the, the truth. It's based on this is, this is what you said you would do. After 70 years, you said that you would call us back. This is, this is what God said through Jeremiah. We have, Daniel says, we have sinned. My, my family has sinned. My people have sinned. And I've lived in exile for 70 years. Now call me home. Bring me back to Jerusalem. He says, We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. He makes his claim that that the covenant should be honored not because he is righteous, not because he's now confessed on behalf of the people and so now everything's okay, but because of God's great mercy. So he begins with truth, he confesses, and then he makes his plea. And God responds. And it's not the response, I think, that Daniel was hoping for. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, Jerusalem, While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to you to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you. For you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy hill to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy hill. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be, 70, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on, the, on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that, is, that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. That's a lot. But the answer isn't, Daniel, you're right. I'm going to call you home now. You can go back to Jerusalem. Just go tell Darius that you're leaving. 
go tell the king that God said, pack up your bags and we're going home. He actually proclaims more desolation and more pain and more suffering. At the end of the 70 years, here's the interesting thing, is at the end of the 70 years, the people do begin to go back to Jerusalem. If you read the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, you get to hear the story of the wall being rebuilt in Jerusalem and of the temple being rebuilt in Jerusalem. This is really, they're really great stories. They're, they're incredible stories of God calling his people back to Jerusalem. And over the next like 100, 200, 300 years, people continue going back to Jerusalem from the places where they were carried off into exile. But even then, they get to go back to Jerusalem because they're, they're still, even in Jerusalem, they're, they're still under the rule of the Persian Empire. They're still then under the rule of the Greek Empire. And then after that, they're still under the rule of the Roman Empire. They don't actually get to go back and, and they rebuild the city and they rebuild the temple, but they don't get their sovereignty back. They're still even back home in exile. And this is, continues to be true today, that we are still in exile. But we have a picture of, of what's to come, um, which is based in, in Jesus, the anointed one um, who came about 400 years later, um, died on the cross, and was resurrected to draw all people to relationship with God. And so we can enter into relationship with God now, but even now we are in exile. And we're waiting for the restoration of the world. Um, so, so what? What now? Because if we go back to Eric's questions from last week, what do I need to know? What I need to know is that Daniel hears what Jeremiah said and responds, and he prays for the city. He doesn't, and we can see in this prayer, he's not like overjoyed at getting to be in Babylon and praying for Babylon. He still experiences the brokenness and the trouble and the sin of being off in exile. But he's en- he enters into a life of prayer. We see that through his story, and then we see that through his dreams and visions and in chapter 9. So if the life of an exile is a life of prayer, what do we need to do? Well, we need to pray. Well, sometimes we don't know what to pray. Sometimes we're angry with God and we don't want to engage with him. Sometimes, and this was Eric's wife Sue pointed out this week, that prayer is an incredibly creative act and can be intimidating um, to enter in 
and, and just kind of come up with stuff to tell God. I had a conversation with a friend one time who told me, I asked her why she prayed to the saints, and she said, I pray to the saints because sometimes I feel like God can't hear me. Sometimes we feel like God can't hear us. We, we feel like prayer is just it's self-talk. It's I'm trying to amp myself up to do the right thing. But what I want to encourage you now is that because we are in exile and the life of an exile is a life of prayer, this week I want to invite you into prayer. And I want to invite you into this template. So what I want, what I want you to do this week when you sit down to pray um, is, is this. It's begin with truth. The reason we begin with truth is, is because it's, it's true. This isn't, this isn't truth that I feel. This isn't, I feel like this is who God is. This is truth that we know because it's in the word of God. God is love. God is good. God is powerful. God sent his son to die on the cross for my sins. These are things that are true. And then we can enter into the things that, that we feel and, and we enter into confession in a moment of, God, you are love. I confess to you that I sometimes don't understand that because of the brokenness and the sin of this world. God, you are powerful. and You say that you are in control. I confess to you that I don't understand how that can be when there is so much sin and so much brokenness and so much pain. We begin with truth because it, it, it roots us in who God is and it actually allows us to come before God and to offer the painful things within that truth and within that relationship. And then make your plea. What are you going to God to pray for? Whether it's for yourself, whether it's for Stephanie, who's going to be um, having radiation, whether it's for um, your siblings or your family, uh, whether it's because you're mad at your wife or because your wife is mad at you or you're mad at your husband or your husband is mad at you, that, this is the space where you're, you, you're going to enter in and offer your plea to God. And then I think the hardest part is praise. To, to then come back and to praise God because of what is true. Not because of not because of what I feel about the world or because of the confession that I've made. Daniel actually lifts up the name of God because he knows that the name of God is true is true and good and powerful. And he calls on God to, to save him because of his name, because of who he is, because of the truth of God doesn't save because of our righteousness, but because of his great mercy.
prayer is, is powerful. It has, it has the power to impact. It impacted the Babylonian Empire through Daniel, and we impact Tucson um, through our prayer. And you, all of you have impacted the life of my daughter, who now sits down at the table every day, not because we taught her to do this, but she lifts up her hands and wants to pray, and then cuts off the prayer really soon and goes, Amen, and then starts eating. <laughs> but she's, she's seen that when we go to people's houses. Um, she sees it here, and that's impacted my daughter, who's it's not even two yet. Um, I'm going to invite you into prayer. Begin with truth. Offer a confession. Offer a plea. And then praise God because of what is true. I don't have time for questions. But um, if you do have any questions, I'd invite you to come up and talk to me afterwards. Um, So we are going to, I'm going to pray. Father, you are good and great. Uh, You sent your son to die for us, to draw us into relationship with you. It is because of you that we can come before you and and offer offer our plea and, and confess in the confidence that you have great mercy. Um, I pray for the time that we will spend in reflecting and singing, uh, that you would bless that time, that you would draw us to look to you, to offer um, confession and and plea to you, um, and that you would bless the food that we're going to eat and bless the time that we get to spend together in our conversation.